0: All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity and this time that we have together to study your word. Lord, I pray as we continue to look at the Ten Commandments that you gave to us, that you would open them to us, that we would see all the things that you require of us to do. And Lord, that you would work in us the desire to want to serve you better, and that uh, you would work in us a passion to seek to serve you in the coming days according to how you've commanded us to do so. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we're looking today, continuing uh, with the Ten Commandments at Exodus 20. You can turn there if you like, Exodus chapter 20. And our commandment that we are starting today is found in verse 15 of Exodus 20. And it says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. A nice, short, and sweet commandment like the last two that we've been looking at. This is the eighth commandment. Um, In English, you'll notice just taking a look at these, the last three commandments we've been looking at, verses 13, 14, and 15, we've got you shall not murder, just four words, you shall not commit adultery, five words, you shall not steal, four words. Very, very short commandments. And in the Hebrew, they're actually all like two words hyphenated, so kind of a, a one word thing in the Hebrew. Like you could read them over so quickly. And I think that sometimes we have a tendency when we're looking at some of these commandments to read them over fairly briefly say, oh you shall not murder, okay cool you shall not steal, oh great because they're so short they tend to be less emphasized and and less studied, right because if we're studying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which is in verse 8 of chapter 20, or yeah of Exodus 20 like there's a whole paragraph of stuff explaining the commandment and all the things associated with it Lots and lots of content to go through. So it can be easy to spend a lot of time on that commandment. And then we get to a commandment like this, verse 15, you shall not steal. It's four words. It's very simple. And we may think when we see this that we know exactly what it means. And like we talked about the last couple of weeks with you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, the Jewish people of Jesus' day thought that they well understood these shorter commandments. They thought the commandment, you shall not murder, only applied to actual physical killing people. But what Jesus did was he pointed out their misunderstanding, and he said, no, hold on a second. It's not just about murdering people physically on the outside, but you can actually break this commandment by murdering someone in your heart. That there's an inward aspect to the commandment. And the same thing with you shall not commit adultery, which we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, right? It's not just about committing adultery on the outside, but there are all kinds of ways to commit adultery on the inside, say, by looking at someone with lust. That's what Jesus points out for his readers in Matthew 5. And so when we come to this commandment, you shall not steal. We don't want to just approach it with a haphazard casualness of, oh, it's, This is all it means. Uh, An individual stealing a physical object. That's the obvious meaning, right? Someone breaking into someone's house and stealing something. A man comes into a house, takes the keys to someone's car, hops in the car, and drives away stealing the car. Well, that's an obvious violation of the commandment, right? Two kids playing in a playground. One has a toy truck, the other doesn't. The one who doesn't have the toy truck takes it, steals it, and runs away. Obvious violations of the commandment, you shall not steal. An individual taking something doesn't belong to him. But what's interesting is that if we look at the scripture as a whole, which we're about to do, what we can actually see is that stealing for the Hebrews was much, much more than simply taking a physical object that doesn't belong to you. And for an example of that, we can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 31. Go ahead and turn there, if you will. Genesis 31. Just to give you some context of what's going on here in Genesis 31, this is the the story, Right, we're hopping right in the middle of the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob. He um, left his brother Esau, right, because Esau wanted to kill him because he stole the birthright, and Jacob goes off to meet his uncle Laban, and he falls in love with one of Laban's daughters, Rachel, right, the beautiful Rachel, and he serves Laban for a while to get Rachel, and Laban tricks him and gives him Leah instead, the older sister, and Jacob's not very happy about that, but he deals with the situation, and he works for another several years, and then he finally gets Rachel and ends up with two wives out of the deal. And then they, they have kids, Leah and Rachel. And then in chapter 31, which is where we're picking up here, God comes to Jacob at the very beginning of the chapter, and he says, Jacob, I want you to go back to the land of your fathers. And what we're told is that Jacob obeys God, at least it seems like he obeys everything God said on the surface right? he, he gets his wives he gets his children, he gets all of his possessions, his flocks and his herds they get them all together and they all leave like that night they just take off without telling Laban whom he was living on his land and, and serving with him and serving him he doesn't tell Laban that he's leaving Jacob just takes all his stuff, and he just leaves. Now, it may seem that uh, Jacob was following God's will there. He, he listened to God, right? God told him to leave. Jacob left. But in the ancient world, that was a very dishonorable thing to do, to leave without telling your uncle that you were leaving. Because that's what Jacob did. He just left without saying anything. And what we're told in Genesis 31 verse 20, this is the text that I want us to look at here that bears meaning on our commandment today. Exodus chapter 31 verse 20, here's what the narrator tells us. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And Jacob tricked Laban. Now, Most of you, I don't know of most of you, but maybe a lot of you have the ESV translation. Mine says, and Jacob tricked Laban. Does anyone have anything different than that in your translation? Does it say anything other than that? Mine says, and Jacob stole away. Stole away, Laban? Stole away and run to Laban. Okay, good. Anything else? He deceived. Okay. Any other ones? All right, well, I'm going to give you the right answer. (laughs) <laughs> no, not the right answer, but an answer. Okay, Because if you look at the Hebrew of this text, which I'm sure all of you do every day, what you will find is that in the Hebrew it says that Jacob stole the heart of Laban. That Jacob stole the heart of Laban. Now, I'm not quibbling with the translation here because it do, that does mean in Hebrew idiom that Jacob tricked Laban. Okay, that's that's right. That's a good translation. But the literal reading says he stole the heart of Laban. Why is that significant? Well, because stealing the heart is an important idiomatic expression for the Hebrews. In our own English language today, when we speak English, if I say someone stole my heart, in English, that's a good thing. Right? We think of it as in a good thing, right? Because if I say someone stole my heart, I'm saying... I fell in love with this person. Jordan, say, stole my heart. That means she stole my affections, my emotions. I fell in love with her. That's a good thing in English. But in Hebrew, that's not a good thing to steal someone's heart. And the reason is this. In English, the word heart, when we use the word heart, we're talking about our emotions or our affections or our love that sort of thing. The word heart means emotions in English. That's how we generally use it. So when I say she stole my heart, she stole my affections, my love. But for the Hebrews, when they use the word heart, they're not primarily talking about emotions or affections. They're talking specifically about the mind, the intellect, the person's reasoning faculties used to make decisions or the will. So when the Hebrews talk about the heart, when you read about the heart throughout the Old Testament, it's not talking about our emotions, it's talking about our wills and our intellect and our minds. And so, getting back to this verse when in Genesis 31:20 when it says Jacob stole the heart of Laban. It's saying Jacob took he stole, he robbed Laban of his ability to make a choice. And in this case, what the idiom means is that Jacob stole Laban's ability to make the right choice, to make the right decision in allowing Jacob to leave and follow God's command. Because the reason that Jacob left without telling Laban and took his whole family and all his flocks and ran away was because he didn't think Laban would let him leave. In other words, he didn't give Laban the ability to do the right thing in allowing him to leave. He took that ability away from him. He stole his mind. He stole his will in the situation. And so that's what it means when it says that that Jacob tricked Laban. He was dishonest, and through his dishonesty, he stole from Laban, Laban's ability to do the right thing in the situation. Now, long story short, okay? What we find in Scripture is that We actually, as human beings, have the ability to steal not only physical things from people, but we can steal spiritual things from people, abstract things, non-physical things. And so what happens when we understand that about this commandment, you shall not steal, is it really blows open the door. Because now, this commandment has so many more applications than just about stealing physical objects. Okay? It has a massive amount of meaning. In fact, um, if you were to take a look at the Heidelberg Catechism, question 110 lists four different distinct kinds of ways that we as human beings can steal from each other. And I want to go through those really quickly here, just as we are introduced to this commandment: "You shall not steal." Firstly, we can steal by force. We can steal by force, and that is just stealing someone's someone's Bible, or stealing someone's car, or stealing someone's toy truck by the, the by our actual ability to use our body as a force to grab and take and run away. All right, that's just describing stealing physical things by force using our body as an instrument to do that so those examples that i used at the beginning this morning of breaking into someone's house and stealing the car that's stealing by force just coming in by brute force and taking something there's another way we can steal number two which is stealing by way of right stealing by way of right, and the catechism gives a couple of examples of this, like unjust weights, false coins, usury, wrongful lawsuits, and things like that. Stealing by way of right, namely stealing by way of legal right, where it appears on the outside as if we are very law-abiding, we're following the system, we're doing what we're supposed to do in people's eyes, but in actuality, we have wrong motives and we're taking things from people that don't belong to them. Or that don't belong to us, excuse me. So false coins and weighing the scales in your favor and things that were very common in the days of the Heidelberg Catechism. But today, we we don't really use scales and and coins so much in our own day, but we have other ways of stealing from people in a lawful way. And one example of that is lawsuit loopholes. Figuring out ways to use a lawsuit to steal from somebody. Taking advantage of legal loopholes to get what we want. Those are very real ways that we can steal where it seems right. I mean, the court said it, but it may not actually be right. So stealing by way of legal right, that's the second way we can steal. third way we can steal, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, is covetousness covetousness. Now, on the surface, it may seem, at least it seemed to me when I read this, I'm like, stealing by covetousness. How is that stealing? I mean, I can understand that covetousness is breaking of another commandment, right? namely the tenth commandment, you shall not covet, which we'll look at in a number of weeks. But the Heidelberg Catechism says that coveting actually breaks the commandment you shall not steal. Well, how is that? We're, when we're covet- if I'm coveting somebody's nice car, or somebody's nice house, I'm not going to the house and taking it. I'm not going over to the car and taking it. That's not stealing, right? Now This is where we got to remember Jesus' words. What did Jesus teach about the commandments? Did he teach they're only about the outward things that we do? No, he didn't. Jesus taught that the commandments also have a profound inward aspect to them. You don't just murder on the outside to break the commandment. You can murder in your heart by hating. You don't just commit adultery on the outside to break the commandment. You can break it on the inside too. Well, guess what? For stealing, we can break it on the inside too. And that's by virtue of coveting. And coveting, in a nutshell, is stealing in our minds. Coveting is stealing in our minds. Because when we covet... We don't just have a general desire for something, right? Coveting means that we want to take it from someone. We have a desire to take that person's car or that person's house or that person's spouse or whatever it may be. And we imagine it even, oftentimes, in coveting. Oh, what would it be like if I could just have that thing the other person had? My life would be so much better. That's stealing in the mind. And so we break this commandment on the inside when we covet. Stealing in the mind. So that's number three. So we've got stealing by force, stealing by way of right, stealing by covetousness, and then number four, and the finally, we steal by all abuse and waste of God's gifts. We steal by all abuse and waste of God's gifts. Again, On the surface, it can seem as if we might ask the question, how are we stealing when we abuse and waste God's gifts? If we think about it, it actually becomes quite clear. Because when we abuse or waste the gifts that God has given to us, we are stealing from God and from our neighbor. We steal from God because God has given us gifts to use for a specific purpose, a good purpose, not a wasteful purpose, but a legitimate purpose. And if we waste them, we are taking those gifts from God and using them in a way that he never wanted them to be. And we're stealing from him then. And same thing with our neighbor. If we're wasting gifts that God has given us, then we're actually stealing those gifts from someone else who could actually be making good use of them. So, we steal from God and our neighbor by all abuse and waste of God's good gifts. So, if you haven't figured this out by now, just as we're getting introduced to this commandment, you shall not steal, it's a big commandment. It may only be a word in Hebrew or four words in English, but there's a lot of stuff contained within this simple commandment, you shall not steal. And if that wasn't enough, I've got three really great theologians that also want to bring up an amazingly important aspect of this commandment. And that is, when we talk about you shall not steal, we normally think of individual people stealing. This commandment forbids individuals from stealing. But it doesn't just forbid individuals from stealing. The you here is directed at everyone individually, but it can also be directed at people collectively particularly of institutions listen to what Heinrich Bollinger said uh, this is just a brief sentence he says thieves who steal private property spend their lives in prison but thieves who steal public property walk about arrayed in gold and purple you get what he's saying there? saying there are lots of thieves in our midst. On the one hand, we've got petty thieves who steal someone's car or steal someone's book or steal this and that object of somebody's, and they are condemned and they're, they're tried and then convicted and they go to jail and they spend their life in prison for something that they stole, particularly. But then you've got this other kind of thieves, and they are dressed in golden crowns, purple robes, they hold a scepter and they sit on a throne in a castle and they steal from the public with unjust laws and unjust taxes and so on, and they don't go to prison. It's kind of a, a clever little little uh, fun poking that Bullinger is doing there. Luther said the same thing. He said, quote, who can publicly rob and steal? Runs at large in security and freedom. Claiming honor from men, while the petty, sly thieves, guilty of only a small offense, must suffer to contribute to the appearance of godliness and honor in the other class. (laughs) Some smart words from Luther there, too. Calvin said this in his sermon on Deuteronomy 5. He said, And indeed, when God threatened by his prophet Isaiah that he who has spoiled and robbed shall have his turn to be spoiled and robbed likewise, God speaks not of the petty thieves who are carried to the gallows but of the great princes and monarchs that bear sway in the world. So what the reformers here are trying to emphasize is that it's not only possible for individuals to steal you and me to to steal just as a single person but it is also greatly possible and indeed often happens where institutions, businesses, governments, whatever kind of institution we want to talk about, actually steals as well. And, I mean, we don't want to get too political here, but I think we can all agree that various governments around the world, including our own, have unjust ways of accumulating finances. There's a lot of taxation without representation that goes on, and that's a form of stealing. And so, we see very clearly, I think, that this commandment is huge because there's a lot of stealing that goes on that we may not even be aware of until this morning as we're carefully thinking and looking at this we can have stealing by the you can be an individual or it can be an institution and we can have stealing of physical things and we can have stealing of non-physical things and all of it is a violation of the eighth commandment Okay, So that is what's going to be our brief introduction to this commandment, trying to understand everything that's encompassed within it. And so what we want to do now is we want to turn our attention to the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 140. And it asks the question, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? Okay, so what we've done so far is we've got a brief introduction we kind of understand the scope and the general themes of what this commandment is covering and now we want to look precisely at what specifically is required of us as God's people how are we to follow this commandment what does it demand of us and I've got a list like every week first what is required in the 8th commandment you shall not steal truth faithfulness and justice in contracts and commerce. Truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading through the larger catechism this week in preparation for this, I read this first application and I thought, wait a second, This am I reading the right commandment? This sounds like something that should be in the ninth commandment, right? What's required when we not bear false witness against our neighbor? Well, of course, truth and faithfulness and justice. But wait a second, this is a commandment about not stealing. And in a commandment about not stealing, why is it required of us that we tell the truth and that we be faithful in contracts and commerce? How does that fit into this? And the answer to that question, as I understand it, is when we enter into a contract with someone, we sign a contract, we sign an agreement we do business with someone, which is an agreement itself. We are pledging certain things of ourselves to that other person, right? That means we owe that other person or that other party in the contract something, whether it's our money or our time or our services or whatever it may be. We owe it to them now because we're in the contract or because we're in a business relationship. If I fail to be truthful, in my contract obligations or I fail to be faithful in my duties in that contractual obligation what am I doing? I am robbing that person of what is rightly due namely whatever I promise to do in the contract or in the business relationship right? that's what I'm doing I'm robbing that person if I agree to do something and I don't do it I rob them Now, you can see right away, if I sign a contract with someone and I fail to do what I'm supposed to do, I'm breaking not just one commandment here. Because if I say I'm going to do this and I don't, well, now I'm breaking the ninth commandment and I'm breaking the eighth commandment because I both lied and because I robbed them of what I promised to do. I robbed them of what was due And so what is required then? Truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce, right? We want to be people, as Christians, we want to be people of our word. We want to be people who, when we say we're going to do something, we do it. We are people of truth and faithfulness, lest we rob someone of what is due to them, okay? So truth, faithfulness, and justice. Number two, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? Rendering to everyone his due. And this is basically what we just said, right? If, it's due, if something is due to someone because a contract you signed or because of some business relationship, then you must do it. Well, now we expand that to rendering to everyone what is due, regardless of whether you're in a contract obligation or not. So, for example, Paul uh, tells us in Romans 13, verse 7, he says, Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, notice what Paul does here. He starts with physical things. He says, render tribute to whom tribute is due, as a payment of some kind, a gift of some kind. Render that to the person if it's due them, lest you rob them. But then he continues and he says, not just physical things, but render fear to whom fear is due and honor to whom honor is due. These are non-physical things. What happens if we are commanded in Scripture to honor our father and mother, or to honor our superiors, honor our government, honor our church government, honor our CEOs or whatever, honor anyone in uh, superior authority to us, and we don't do it? We are failing to render to them what is due, namely our honor. And if we fail to do that, we not only then break the fifth commandment, but we break the eighth commandment here because we are robbing them of what's due. You see you see how Jesus could say, and the, the scriptures as a whole can say, if you break one commandment, you break all of them, right? They're interconnected. Some of them are more connected than others, but they're all connected somehow. When we break one, we break many. And so... We are required then in this commandment to render to everyone his due, lest we rob them what is due them. Honor to some, fear to some, tribute to some, whatever the case may be. And that's hard. Because it really causes us to really think about what is due to people. And we don't want to rob them. Number three. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners. This one's kind of a legal one. Legal, uh, Application, but you can imagine in the days that the catechism was written, you know, it was pretty common for authorities in the realm to confiscate land or property from people and to not give it back. Then they confiscated it for what seemed to be good reasons on the surface, but what actually happened was it was a very clever plan to just take something from someone in a rightful way, in a lawful way, a legal way, but not a morally right way. And so what the catechism is saying here is, hey, if you take, someone from something, take something from someone, and it seems good at the time that you were supposed to do that, but then it comes out later, you're not supposed to do that. You need to restore it, otherwise you're guilty of stealing. Okay, number four, giving freely. What is required giving freely? Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you say, how do we rob you? In your tithes and offerings. Now, the scriptures as a whole, right, when we consult them, we find that the scriptures teach that God wants us to give to him, right? To give to his work, to give of our time and our talents and our treasures, right? God wants that. Now, whether there's a certain prescribed amount or not is debated among theologians. Does it? Is it 10%? Is it not 10%? How that all works, uh, I don't have a good answer for you on the spot. You can ask Pastor Adam about it because he does. But the, what we are commanded in Scripture to give, right? That is what God, it's very clear that that is what God wants us to do. And when we don't, right? When we don't, Scripture teaches we are actually become guilty of robbing God, of stealing from Him. Now, the Scripture teaches, right, that we are to give freely. Right To give out of a joyous spirit and so on. But it also teaches that it is something we are supposed to do. And if we don't, we are guilty of robbing God. So we break this commandment then, when that happens. So giving freely is required. Next, lending freely. Lending freely. Now, lending freely, right? I'm going to make a few qualifications here. I don't think what the catechism means is lending so freely that you put yourself in a bad financial situation, that you lend money to crazy people who you know are just going to be foolish with it, or that you put yourself in a bad financial situation by depleting your assets to lend money so freely that you're, you know, everyone's getting something. That's not what it's talking about. But what it is saying is that if you're in a position where you can help people, then What is required in the commandment you shall not steal is that you lend to help people. Because that is what God has blessed you with an abundance of possessions is so that you can help people. That's the whole point. To To enjoy the possessions, to enjoy the great gifts for sure, but to also be in a position to help other people. And in a very real sense, if we fail to help people with the abundance of blessings that God has given to us, there does seem to be a way in which we can be guilty of stealing from the people who are in our need that God has placed in our path. So we want to be very careful and think about that. Of course, the scripture does teach very broadly and very clearly, right, about um, ourselves trying to avoid being in debt ourselves, right? The borrower is a slave to the lender. The Bible puts a very strong and dark shadow on the whole idea of debt, And so, as Christians, we want to avoid it when possible. Not that debt is a sin in itself, but we want to avoid it when possible. But it does teach also, in the book of Proverbs, that we are to lend to people who are in need. And that's where the catechism is getting this, right? We want to be helpful to people with the abundance that God has blessed us with. So, giving and lending freely. Next, moderate use of worldly goods moderate use of worldly goods this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the heidelberg catechism earlier the fourth way that we steal is abuse and waste of god's gifts why is that because we're abusing the gifts that god's given we're not using them for the intended purpose and so we're stealing them from god and stealing them from our neighbor how do we counteract that then what's required in this commandment positively a moderate use of worldly goods doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. doesn't mean we can't own a sports car or something, right? But just generally speaking, a moderate use, not being wasteful, not being abusive of the gifts that God has given us. Because We want to be in a position to lend to people and help them, right? That's, that's the goal. So a moderate use of worldly goods. I've uh, got a few more here. Next, a lawful calling. A lawful calling. I think this is really important, right? When we talk about calling, and we're talking about vocation, right? And vocation is something that God calls us to. That's why we call it a calling. Right? God calls each and every one of us to particular vocations. And many of us have multiple vocations. If you're a husband, you've got the vocation of being a husband. <laughs> If you are an employee, you've got the vocation of being an employee for whatever company that you're at or whatever school you're at or whatever uh, business you're running yourself or whatever political position you have or whatever, that's your vocation. All right? if, you've got, if you've got kids, you're the vocation of a parent. So we've all got various vocations. I have a vocation of being a seminary student right now. Okay, That's really my primary vocation at the moment. And that's going to change throughout life. And we all have vocations that will change throughout life. But what we're talking about here is what is required in this commandment? A lawful vocation. A lawful vocation. And that means that we need to make sure that whatever vocations we have, they are not contrary to God's law. Okay? Because many people do claim to have wrongful vocations, right? If you have a vocation of human trafficking, that is not a lawful vocation. I think we all agree with that, right? If you have a vocation of being a bank robber, that is not a lawful vocation. Now, if you do have a a, a vocation that requires you to do evil, the reason why that is a violation of this commandment, you shall not steal, is because you are robbing God of your time by using it in a way that is sinful. And frankly, we do this anytime we sin, even if it's not a vocation. Anytime we do something wrong, we've robbed God of that time that we used to do the wrong thing when we should have been using it to do the right thing. So we rob God in that situation. That's why we need to make sure that our callings that we have aren't causing us to sin. Are we in a position in our business, say, for I'm just, I have no idea what any of you are doing. Okay, this is just a random example. But are we in a position in, say, I'm an employee in a business, and my employer is requiring me to steal from people in that position. And it could be a direct form of stealing, where you're literally breaking into someone's house and taking something, or more likely it could be an indirect form of stealing, like using legal loopholes to take things that don't belong to you. Right? If we're in that position, that's a violation of this commandment, and a bunch of other things too. But Right now, we're talking about this commandment because we're stealing from God and from our neighbor in that situation. So we want to have a lawful calling. And I'm sure you all do, all right? But this is just a warning in case we find ourselves in this situation. Uh, Next, this one kind of connects to the last one. Diligence in that lawful calling. Diligence in that lawful calling. Proverbs 10.4 He becomes poor who deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He becomes poor who deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. What is required in this commandment you shall not steal? Diligence in our lawful callings. Being a diligent father, a diligent parent, a diligent businessman, or whatever it is that you're doing. A diligent teacher. And we rob God if we aren't diligent in the same way. We rob God because we are using our time in a way that we're not supposed to be if we're not diligent. Right? Because I think what I have found in my experience, and I've done this too, right? I'm not pointing fingers, but I've done this too. What we can often find is that in our vocations, we find ourselves just going through the motions. Trying to just get through the week, and oh man, I'm so glad it's Friday, and I'm done with my job, so that I can get to the fun things in the weekend. Right? Many, many, many people live this way, living for Friday. There's a restaurant. <laughs> the T.J. Fridays. It's the, the whole. That's the whole theme of the restaurant. Right? Thank God it's Friday, because now I'm done with this boring job. Right? That's if we live like that. That is not diligence in our calling. God has called us to this job, if it's a lawful job. God has called us to it, and we are called to diligence in it. If we're not diligent in it, we rob God because we are not using our time as we ought to in that job. We are robbing our employer, who is paying us to work to the best of our ability, and we rob our co-workers, who are depending on us to work to the best of our ability in that position. So we're required then to have diligence in our lawful callings. Uh, Next, frugality. We've got three more here. I know this is a long list, right? But the Catechism, Suffolk, to say all these things, and I think we can profit from them. Third to last, frugality. This is kind of the same thing as moderate use of worldly goods, right? Kind of the same thing. We don't want to be wasteful or abusive of the gifts that God has given us. Second to last, avoiding unnecessary lawsuits. Avoiding unnecessary lawsuits. And this is why, because much like today, in the ancient world, people would take advantage of the court systems. Because the court systems, although they're supposed to be fair and they're supposed to be just, they aren't always, as we all know. right? They're not always fair and they're not always just. And oftentimes, if you've got a good lawyer and a good case you can end up stealing from someone. This happened a lot in the ancient period. Uh, Paul discusses this in 1 Corinthians 6. You can look it up later if you like. He tells Christians, he says, don't get involved in unnecessary lawsuits. He says, settle the issue outside the court. Um, you all probably remember, just as it relates to this commandment, you probably all remember a particular case. You remember the McDonald's coffee spilling incident a number of years ago, right? Right? I, I was fairly young when that happened, but I still couldn't believe it at the time. For those of you who don't know, there was a woman who was in a McDonald's restaurant and she had, she bought a coffee, right, and what happened was when she went to sit down and eat her food, she spilled the coffee on herself and she got some burns from the coffee because, of course, it's hot, right. And instead of saying, oh, rats, my mistake, what she did was she sued the McDonald's corporation for not putting caution hot on the coffee cup. And she won. And she got a lot of money out of the deal. (laughs) Now, I don't know the whole situation of her story, right? I don't want to be too judgmental maybe there was more to it than this, but it sounds to me off on the surface that this was an unnecessary lawsuit that took advantage of a loophole in whatever kind of law there was about coffee cup signs that was used for her to basically steal from the company. And that's the kind of thing that our catechism is warning us about. Avoid unnecessary lawsuits. Why? Because lawsuits can often be used to steal by way of right. It happens all the time. Some people literally make a living today doing this, suing company after company after company to get money in order to live on. That's how they live. And so we want to avoid unnecessary lawsuits because they often um, end in this. Now, that doesn't mean we avoid every lawsuit. Sometimes there are legitimate lawsuits that we need to be involved in where, where justice needs to be done. But notice the Catechism says avoid unnecessary lawsuits. We have to be careful to make that distinction so we don't rob people unjustly. And finally, our last point what is required in the eighth commandment? Finally, to endeavor, by all just and lawful means, to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others, as well as our own. Naturally, if we are commanded not to steal, and what we are do- and and we are commanded then not to try to steal, uh, um, wealth and the estate of other people, then positively we'd be required to endeavor to preserve the wealth of other people. And for some of us, all that means is upholding the good reputation of our neighbor. Upholding the good reputation of our neighbor, not seeking to do all of these things we just talked about to steal from them. We're to endeavor by everything we can do in a just and lawful way to preserve the wealth of other people, lest we steal from them and take advantage of some flaw that they have, or some unguarded priceless artifact or something, and we steal it, okay? So endeavor by all lawful just means to procure and preserve and further the wealth of outward estate of other people. And that is what our catechism recognizes as what's required in this commandment. So just, we're out of time here in conclusion, all right? Our eighth commandment is you shall not steal. And what we talked about is that, man, there's a lot of stuff in this commandment, just like all the commandments. I'm going to sound like a broken record as we keep going through these, right? Because I'm shocked at how much stuff there is. And I think you are too, in some ways, if you haven't gone through this already. There's a lot of things required of us as Christians to do. And this is our duty as Christians, to study the law of God so that we can follow it the best of our ability. We'll never do it perfectly. We'll never follow God's law perfectly in this life. But this is part of our sanctification, to strive to be more like Christ. And we do it because He has saved us. Always remember, always close with this. always remember the Gospel when we talk about this stuff. We're not following the Eighth Commandment to be saved. We are following the Eighth Commandment and striving to understand it and to live it out because we are saved. Because we are saved. Always hold that gospel truth. All right? So just take the time today, if you think of it, to really meditate on this commandment and see, and just ask the Lord, Lord, where am I falling short in my life here? What am I breaking that I, don't, I haven't even realized before? And Lord, please forgive me of that and help me to continue on in this life, following it to the best of my ability. Let's close in prayer as we finish up here. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your eighth commandment. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have revealed it to us and that you've made it clear in your word all of these things that are required of us. And Lord, pray that um, if we're feeling crushed about what we haven't done, that we would remember that you did do all of these things perfectly when you were on earth and it's because of that that you could be our perfect sacrifice to pay all of the sins, all the times we've broken this eighth commandment. Lord, just pray that you would work that knowledge of the gospel of, of our forgiveness in us and that that would motivate us to joyfully seek to apply this commandment in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would prepare us to praise your name and to hear preaching of your word by Pastor Adam today in the service. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.